0: Welcome to solo 2.0, an empowerment podcast hosted by two sisters living in LA, making their way through the health and wellness world. I'm Ryan Birch,
1: and I'm Jess Sukan. Each week, we're committed to bringing you conversations with risk taking, resilient guests from diverse backgrounds, interviews with experts on controversial or misunderstood topics that will expand your perspective, and lively roundtable discussions with our mom, hormone health educator Candace Birch. We're driven to provide the
0: support and motivation needed to ignite growth, confidence, and purpose so you can step into that 2.0 version of you.
1: We can't wait to dig into these conversations and hope you'll join us every week for a new episode. Let's get into it.
0: Welcome back to the Solo 2.0 podcast. I'm Ryan,
1: co-founder of Your Hormone Balance. And I'm Jess, holistic health coach and founder of Body Bliss by Jess. So today we are sitting down with Leanne Saffer, who is the author of the memoir, Please Don't Send Me Flowers. She actually lives in our hometown, Portland, Oregon. And I found her book because it was recommended to me by one of my best friends who lives in Oregon. And then when I started reading about it, I actually posted about it in my Instagram stories. And I had several other friends from the area reach out just saying how much they love the book too. and. A lot of them actually had taken her classes, her spin classes, too, and loved her energy. But I think for me, what was most impactful about the book was Leanne's ability to share these really painful experiences in such an honest and raw way, and in a way that people of all stages and walks of life can likely relate to, I think, in some way or another. She sheds light on what a battle with breast cancer is really like, which not a lot of people are talking about in the way that she does. And the loneliness and desperation of being in a toxic relationship for over a decade, which I could totally relate to, and also how she finally got out of it and then ended up coming out to her community and the feeling of finding true love and what it's like to finally be able to express your authentic self. And I personally struggle just getting through books. If they don't hook me right from the beginning, I get really distracted or it'll just take me a long time to get through them. But with this book, I just blew through it because I couldn't wait to keep reading and finding out what was going to happen next. So I think that's a testament to how good it is. And hopefully you guys will all enjoy it as well.
0: Yeah. A little bit more about Leanne and her book. So from divorce to coming out to cancer, Leanne tells an honest and hilarious account of her last 15 years. And she describes the often painful discovery of her own resilience and the process of learning to trust herself along the way. Leanne's engaging storytelling weaves in the themes of small town religious family upbringing, redefining modern femininity and navigating life's complexities. Despite the heavy topics, her fierce reflections and lessons are grounded in vulnerability and the perfect dose of humor. Leanne's story has you alternating between laughing and crying, and it's a must read for anyone who has ever considered sending someone flowers. Leanne is also a fitness instructor and life coach on a mission to help others find their voice and seek joy in every circumstance. So this is going to be a bit of a longer episode. So we're going to get right into it. But just a reminder: if you could, it would mean so much to us if you could rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Um, also, if you have any feedback, we'd love to hear from you. DM us at solo 2.0 podcast as well. So thanks so much, and let's get right into it.
1: Hello, Leanne. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this beautiful Friday. Hello.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, Thank we so we are so grateful to have you here. And um, the first thing I want to ask you is, Leanne sent me over her bio, and I it was so unique and I loved it. She said that she lives in Portland with her wife, her two kids, her two cats and her nine disco balls. Oh, <laughs> so I want to know, are the disco balls like lined up and ready to go for like a Friday night dance party <sighs> in your house?
2: <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is like, I accidentally ordered these giant disco balls. Like one of them was like two feet in diameter. And my wife was like, what the fuck, honey? But I think I was just like, in a dark space and I needed something light, but I opened these boxes and they're huge. And I'm like, what am I going to do with these? So now we have like this art situation. It's like plants and disco balls. And now I've just been like putting them all over the house. Cause they're huge. But now that I have them in different rooms, I'm like, I need more.
0: <laughs> that is awesome. do you have every room
2: here?
0: I don't have right one in here.
2: Um, I'm in the office, which we're renovating right now, but there will be disco balls in here for sure.
0: Was this a COVID purchase? Oh Yeah.
2: It, it was at like the beginning of COVID, but now yeah. it's going to be a forever purchase. So,
0: yeah. I well, we did that. the same. We got some strobe lights. We got yes. various ones that really help each other, like different patterns that need each other. <laughs> and, I and love it. now <laughs> it was such a COVID purchase, but now we're like, we can't picture our weekends. I mean, we don't do it every weekend, but it makes yeah. the ultimate dance party just takes it up 10 notches. See, COVID wasn't all bad. Yeah. $12 on the Amazon. Like, you know, got to spice it, it up.
2: I'll probably yeah. need the link to that. You should just put it in the show notes for
0: everybody.
1: <laughs> I'll put it in, put yeah, it in the <laughs> show notes. And that's how we bring joy to our lives during yeah. these challenging times. So yeah, yes. absolutely. Whatever mm-hmm. it takes. <laughs> and so then two, in the inter- in the intro, um, which we're gonna record after this, I'm gonna share sort of how I found you and your book. And I know I shared a little bit with you already, but um I feel like it was, gosh, maybe like six months ago or so, a good friend of mine who lives in Portland had posted about it on her Instagram stories. And then I responded just asking what it was about. Cause I've gotten another COVID thing. I've started reading a lot more, which is awesome. I never made time for it before and I was hooked. And I feel like for me, I'm a slow reader, not because I'm actually slow reading, but because I feel like it's hard to just take that time. And a lot of books don't pull you in as much to where you have to get back to them. And I just could not, like, I was like dreaming about your book. I'm like, I can't wait to get up the next morning and read it. She was telling me a lot about it.
2: I love that. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to write something that was easy to read because I do like reading, but I get so bored. Like if it doesn't hook me in the Mm -hmm. first chapter, I'm out, but I also just wanted to write something that was real. I'm like Mm -hmm. people, especially like people our age, like in your late twenties, early thirties, like going into forties, I'm like, it's all just like fluffy self-help bullshit. Honestly, is what it felt like. And I know that not everybody feels that way, but to somebody that's not an avid reader and the reason I'm not an avid reader is because I don't get sucked in. I'm like, how can I make this like so brutally honest and relatable to where people are like, oh my God, I see myself in the story or my friend or my sister I got to know like, what's going to happen. I feel so connected. And so Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful that it came across that way because I've been getting that a
1: lot. Um, and I'm like, Oh, I did it. (laughs) And what an incredible feeling, because the sort of the way I would describe it is that, and obviously these books have their place, but a lot of books feel very filtered. Like it's gone through multiple, multiple filtering edits. And of course you went through that whole process too, but it feels that way. You're reading this perfect book. And when I read your book, it was like, I felt like I could hear your voice coming through the pages. I could get a sense for your personality, what you would be like. It was almost like you were sitting next to me and telling your story. And that was before I even found you and followed you on Instagram. And so then when I actually found you and followed you and started looking at your stories and your posts, it all matched up, which I think is hard to do and hard to get across and it's just, it is, it's real, it's raw, it's honest. And I think so many of us are looking for that because there is so much out there that makes you feel maybe inadequate because you're not doing things the right way or the perfect way or the way that you should. And maybe you're struggling with your feelings and you know, you're know you being told that, like, that it, that's not the appropriate way to feel. And so I think reading your story and the different parts of it too, there's so many elements to your story that I think obviously women all around the globe can relate to at some point in their Mm -hmm. lives. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, that just really resonated with me. And specifically in the beginning of your book, you talk about your relationship with your ex that who you were with for over a decade, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we recently had a relationship expert on our podcast who Part of what she shared was the signs and sort of like symptoms to watch out for in a toxic relationship. Um, and especially was touching on narcissists. Mm -hmm. Um, and I shared my story of being with a narcissist for four years and kind of how I finally broke free. And that was the part of your book that I almost at one point was like, was she with Ian? (laughs) I was like, Oh god, she's in Portland and oh my gosh, that might actually be him. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was living a double life. Yeah. So It was, you know, it was coming out on the pages and, um, I'm just curious for somebody who's been with somebody who is a narcissist or has toxic tendencies where they feel belittled or pushed down or made to feel less than what are some things that you feel like they can do while in that relationship to sort of get their voice back, to stand up for, you know, what they deserve and maybe start to get away from, and, you know, and break free from that. Yeah,
2: I mean that's such an interesting question because I often like look back and I'm like what could I have done? Um and I think the biggest thing is like when you're in a relationship like that you are literally or you feel at least that you're silenced, right? You don't have a voice, your voice doesn't matter. Um and if I could do it all over again, I would have spoken up sooner, whether that be to him which I tried to do multiple times, but you know, maybe stand my ground a little bit more, but I would have talk to somebody outside of my circle, but I was so ashamed and I was so scared. Um, I also think that I I wish that I would have had resources like this book. Right. And that was something that I was like, do I write about this? Like, I don't actually want to talk shit about my ex. Like we have a great relationship with our kids, but I want to speak for women that don't feel like they have a voice for themselves. And I would have felt more validated in my experience had I been able to read something like that. I would have had that as a tool, right? Like, Oh my God, I'm not the only one. There are other women that go through this and they get out of it. Um, so I think, yeah, just like talking to people, telling your best friend, telling your family, but also like, if I could have read about it, like that's the biggest thing. Like that, that first section of the book has had such a huge impact. I mean, hundreds of women have reached out to me and they're like, thank you for telling my story because I'm not brave enough to tell it, or I'm in this and you're giving me courage to get out. And I'm like, yes, yes. Like, this is why I did that. So
0: are are you able to describe or summarize that experience for those of us who haven't read the book of being in a toxic relationship? (laughs) Yeah. And, and how you found your way out.
2: Um, yeah. So I just, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where normally it starts like very flirtatious and fun. Um, and then over time it gets very turbulent. Like, you know, like you're crazy. I can't believe you're saying that stuff. And you're like, Oh my God, am I like, you start to believe that you're crazy or like that didn't happen. I'm like, wait, yeah, it did. Um, so just kind of like that gaslighting. Um, but a lot of it was just like, you don't get to do this, but I do. Like you don't get to go out with your friends, but I do. Or like, I don't want you going out here with your girlfriends because people are going to look at you. And I'm like, I can't help if they're going to look at me. Like, I just want to go hang out. Um, so it's very controlling, very manipulative. Um, and it just got worse and worse over time. And you just start to be quiet and shut down because you're like, it's easier, right? Anytime you talk back, they're like, that's stupid. Why would you say that? And you're like, oh, okay. Like maybe it is stupid. Um, So just a lot of manipulation and it's just, it was so controlling. I literally felt like I was suffocating and I'm like, I have to be able to have a life outside of this. This is not normal.
0: Mm -hmm. And how did you find your way out of it? I, you know, I,
2: I think that I had just like had enough. Um, I am a very strong woman clearly, but I had been so stuffed down I remember sitting on the floor with my girlfriend and I had two little kids that were in bed and all I could ever do was sit on my floor and like hang out. And she's the only person that would come hang out with me because she was also my babysitter. Um, and we were sitting there and I was like, I am so miserable. And I just thought about the two little girls sleeping in the room next to me. And I'm like, I cannot show them that this is what true love is. Mm -hmm. I cannot show them that this is living. This is lying. And I will not lie to my kids. So I think that was the moment, you know, I looked at my friend and I was like, I can't do this. Like I'm lying to my kids and I only get one shot at this to get it right. Um, you know, and then I immediately felt like the shame and the guilt of is divorce. Right. I is leaving. Right. But then I'm like, no, right. is like living true to who I am living a very happy life, like using my voice, being a strong woman. That's what I want for them. So that's what I have to model. So that was my tipping point. And I'm like, I'm out. I gotta go. How long were you with him? Uh, about 12 years.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I get, Oh God. Well, I'm just, I'm curious because I watched my sister in this relationship for, for four years and, you know, similar, obviously behavior of just accepting that the way he would, the things he would call her or, you know, she would accept that that was, you know, oh, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, and, and become sort of a weak version of herself. And so when you look back and obviously you are a strong, smart woman and you always were, how do you kind of, what was the girl or the woman like then versus who you are now? Because it's just so interesting how this person can take you completely out of who you really are. Yeah. I mean, at some
2: point you start to believe it, right? I'm like, Oh, I must not be worth this. I must, um, be stupid. Right. I must be crazy. Like I heard that one a lot. I must be crazy. But then I would have these moments where I'm like out on a run or, you know, looking at my kids and I'm like, no, I'm not crazy. Like you replay these moments. I'm like, no, 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 Like it was that fire was always there. It was just like, someone was trying to like shush it a little bit. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like I'm meant to be like a fucking blaze. So there's no way that I can do that here. And if you want to, if you want to burn, like stay in my way, but I'm going to go. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. So what, cause you do talk about this in the book too, but what were some of the steps that you did to rebuild your confidence in the years that followed? Cause I yeah. think that that, those, that year, or specifically that year after is such a pivotal time to get back to who you are at your core and get to re-know yourself and love yourself again, which is at least in my experience, I realized how much I didn't respect myself and how much I was just catering to this person and how much was connected to them. And I had to figure out who I was and what I wanted again. So I'm interested in what that looked like for you. Yeah. I
2: feel like I experienced a lot of that, like the year that we were actually like separating. I'm like, I was never more certain of who I was like, before we actually divorced because I had to use that time to figure out how I was going to be strong enough to be alone. Um, and you know, little did I know that somebody was waiting for me like right around the corner, but I'm thinking, Oh shit. I have two kids. I've been a stay at home mom. I make like 300 bucks a week. There's no way I can afford to like, whatever. I'm also like, what do I like? What is fun for me? Like, what does Liam like to do? Because for 10 years, I've been a housewife that isn't allowed to spend money, you know? Um, so the first thing I did was like get a job and I'm like, do I like this job? Do I not like this job? Like who am I in this job? What do people want from me? Like what feels good to show up as? Um, and I realized like, I want, I want to help people find joy and I want to give, and I just want to like use my voice because I didn't have one for so long. And that was terrifying, but like The more I spoke, the bigger response I got. And I'm like, okay, people like me, they want this from me. Like it's landing. So I'm not crazy. Um, and that like helped me build my confidence, like teaching classes and being able to say things that like resonated with other people, realizing that we were all human. Right. Um, and that's where I started to like find my footing and be able to move forward.
0: How do you go from being a stay at home mom and then looking for a job? What were where did you look and what did you end up starting (laughs) with? That is a scary Um, thing for a lot of women and especially women who haven't had any visibility over the finances for the family. And it's like, oh my God, now I have to get a job and figure out how to manage money. Totally. Um
2: you know, I've been a hairstylist for like 900 years. So, luckily, I always have that in my back pocket and the that idea. is a wonderful job to be able to do because yeah. you can just like do it on your own terms. Yeah. Um and so I kind of like started dabbling in that a little bit, but I had a lot of clients that I was still connected to from years prior before I started staying home and I reached out to somebody cuz I I needed childcare and I reached out to somebody that was like starting a fitness studio and I was like can you get me a job? Like if you have childcare, I will work for free. I just need to be around people, figure out what I like. Um, and she was like, yeah, come teach for me. So that kind of happened very organically just through like networking. Um, but I, I mean, networking is the only way to go. Honestly, Mm -hmm. like you just have to put yourself, you have to tell people what you need. I was like, I am in such a rough spot. Anything you can do to help me, and luckily like there was a place for me and she saw me she was like, I know what you're going to be good at. Even though I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> you're crazy. Um, yeah. but I mean, you just have to say what you need. It's like, that was the most vulnerable, humble time of my life. And you would think it would be like after writing this book, but I'm like, I was so desperate. And for me to have to go say like, I need help. Mm-hmm. I need yeah. help was so hard for me, but a huge turning point for me because I suck at asking for help. I still suck at asking for help, but if I didn't ask in that moment, I would not be where I am today. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: What role has fitness played in your recovery? And I mean, this is a, a recovery being a huge question, but I think initially with that relationship, um, you know, cause I'm sure that that had a major impact in your life and obviously being able to share your words and what you went through because for people who don't it I I'm actually not big into spin and cycling only because I have a bad knee but do you say spin or a cycle instructor yeah, does it spin. matter yeah spin okay
2: yeah
1: so, cycling is like
2: 1999
1: got it okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, so as a spin instructor what is that experience like too. So part one, how has it sort of helped grow your confidence in your healing process? And then part two, walk us through that experience of being in that room, because I don't think that people don't, that don't take those classes realize what a transformative experience it can be mentally and emotionally.
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess I can kind of like group those questions together. Um, for me, it was like the first time that I've ever truly felt Scene. I I mean, you might as well have just been like naked on a stage with your mouth shut. And like, here I am, this is all of me, take it or leave it. But I was so terrified to go stand on a stage in a dark room with the light on me and have people pay attention to me because nobody had ever paid attention to me like in the last 10 years. It was like, shut you out, you don't matter. And now I'm like, oh shit. I'm the one that matters telling you that you're the one that matters. Um, but it was so empowering. I remember I was, I had no self-esteem and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be good at this. I can barely talk to one person. How am I going to talk to 50 people? And I had this moment where I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I am going to have fun because I love having fun and I'm going to be ridiculous because I am. And I'm just going to show all the sides of me because I have nothing to lose. Because in that moment, I was like, I've already lost it all. Like, I'm at the bottom. We either go up or we stay here. But there's no going lower. And I just, like, let it all hang out. And the response was so incredible. Because this was, like, a few months into me teaching. And it hadn't been going well. And, like, from that moment, people were like, oh, my God. That girl. Like, who's that girl? Like, I can't wait to go back. This And I'm like, Oh, this is what it's supposed to be like, like creating my own community, people that saw me for who I was. They saw my faults and they saw my triumphs. They saw my joy. They saw my struggle. And they were like, yep, we're here for it. Um, And that's the thing about teaching, like, you know, being on a stage and people have watched me publicly go through all of these massive changes in my life. And I have had this stage to be like, I'm a human. And I could have gone up there and put on a show, but instead I was like, you know what? We're going to talk about hard shit because it's going to land with one of you, but I guarantee it's going to land with all of you in one way or another. And it always does. You're in a dark room. Mm -hmm. You have this community. Everybody's moving together and you have this experience together in a moment where you're just like, oh my God, you feel this like unity. Like we can all move forward as like this human thing. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, like, absolutely incredible. Um, And, you know, there's so many times where I'm like, should I talk about this or should I say this? But I'm like, yes. Because, again, going back to, like, getting out of this relationship, what I needed always and what I still always need is for somebody else to normalize stuff. And I'm like, if that's going to have to be me, sure, it'll be me. I have no problem doing that. If you don't like it, don't come. But
0: people like it. (laughs) They're like, thank you. Mm -hmm. So you had an idea and I'd love to know how the kind of light bulb went off that you wanted to start getting into fitness teaching and then explain a little bit more about how you would be vulnerable and that Would would you just talk about your life honestly your struggle in that week or
2: yeah yeah totally I mean there were days where I would come to work and I'm like I haven't slept in 48 hours I'm being stalked right now and how do you put on a front Like, how do you, I'm like, I want to live an honest and true life. This was what I committed to on that night when I sat on the floor. How do I live an honest and true life and go on the stage and pretend like everything's perfect? It doesn't mean that we can't have fun, but like, I'm going to name it. I'm going to call it out. And I'm going to be like, you know what, you guys, (laughs) insomnia. Hello. Like anybody else? Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is what I'm feeling. And I didn't have to be like, yo, I have a stalker. Like that's kind of creepy, but you know, you can relate people relate to feelings Um, Mm -hmm. and emotion and like, nobody talks about that. And for so many years, that was like bad, right. To feel like you're crazy. If you feel that emotion, isn't right. And I'm like, no, it is like, these are things that everybody feels. So let's connect on that level.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and especially in the health and wellness world too and fitness as well, you know, there's just all of these facades all the time and we're perfectly healthy and fit and doing everything right. And we're, we're sleeping right. And we're eating right. And we're, you know, and we're in health and wellness and I'm sure that's a vibe we've given off too, but it is so helpful when people break it down. It's like, I haven't slept and I'm your teacher. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. And we, yeah, we like preach, like eat well, get a lot of sleep.
2: And I'm like, I had two gin and tonics last night because I was freaking out um, Mm -hmm. and I haven't slept in three days and I'll get back on track, but like, this is where I'm at. Mm -hmm. I'm having a rough time and Mm -hmm. no amount of melatonin is going to help me. Right. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, and it's also about like these tools of fitness, of community, of asking for help is what gets you through. It's not necessarily being perfect. Well, and it's like an exercise of your mind, right? Like you can't Mm -hmm. just exercise
2: your body. Everything works as a whole. So you have to like talk about it. You have to normalize it Um, because your body's also never like working exactly how you feel like it's going to. Sometimes you feel like shit on the bike and sometimes you feel like you could go another class.
1: Yeah. yeah. A helpful Our tool. friend teaches these moving meditations and she also teaches boxing and some other classes. And she always says, get out of your head and into your body. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And just the idea that we hold these stuck emotions inside of us that can manifest as constipation, can manifest as terrible anxiety, can manifest as questioning your own voice and not being able to get the words out. Yeah. And then when you go on a bike and you have this energy and this instructor who's helping you push those emotions out of you, you're able to process the things in your life better and get them out. So people, I imagine, leave your class just feeling like a huge weight has been lifted off of them. That's more impactful than maybe the calories that they're burning. 100%. I will
2: never make it about calories. I will never make it about your fitness level. Like it's about the whole experience. And something that I've been saying a lot lately is like, what is here now? What is here right now? Like what is true for you in this moment? And whether that is like positive, negative, whatever, recognize it, respect it, own it, work with it. Like, you know, I hate when people say like, leave your shit at the door. I'm like, no, no, no. Take it oh, with yeah. you. Like, <laughs> let's bring that yeah. and let's use it to fuel you because that's going to get you nowhere. You just have to pick it back up. So then you're only feeling good for 45 minutes. It's like, no, let's figure out how to like use this and move it through you. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. like the greater good. And it might suck for a while. That's okay. But you have to you have to name it. So it's like, what is here right now? And it's so interesting when you do that exercise. And even like when you're working out, you're like, what the fuck is she talking about? It's like, okay, um, I'm a little stressed out because of work. COVID's like driving me crazy. This, this, and this. But like, when you break it down, what you have, you have your breath. You have your heart. You have your mind. You have your body. You have everything you need. And people mm-hmm. are like oh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not so stressed anymore. Like I'm all right. Let's start from here.
1: Let's go from Mm -hmm. here.
2: This is what's here.
0: So that's great.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And that kind of brings us into our next question because we know that you met your current wife through your profession Mm -hmm. and we want to hear that story. How did you bump into each other? And Uh. when did you figure out that she was your person?
2: Oh man. Um, so, When I got divorced, I was working at a different spin studio, and I just kind of had my eye on this other place. And I'm like, I think those are my people. Um, So I auditioned there, and my wife worked there. And she was telling my boss, like, don't hire her. Don't hire her. She works at this other studio. Like, she's probably bad news. And I'm like, huh? (laughs) Um, And I went to her class, and I didn't know she was saying all this about me, but I went to her class, and I just remember seeing her and being like, huh? Huh? Like, I couldn't, like, I could not figure out why I couldn't stop staring at her. I'm like, she's a, like, I'm just moth to a flame. Couldn't quite figure out what was going on. Wow. Um, And we started, you know, I got hired, blah, blah, blah. We were laughing about how she didn't want me to get hired. And we started writing together a lot. We became really close. Like, I was going through a divorce. She was going through a breakup. Um, I don't like girls. She does. I'm like, whatever. (laughs) And you know, fast forward however long and we went out dancing and we just had this moment like on the dance floor where we were dancing. She was trying to get some guy off me and she was like, get off my girlfriend. And I was like, Oh, like, I like the way that sounds. She grabbed my hand, walked me away. We started dancing and like literally everything around us just went like dark and slow-mo and she was like glowing. And I was like, Oh, fuck. Oh, <laughs> yeah. my, um, yeah, totally. And I'm like, wait a second. Like, did I drink too much? Like, I need to go home. So um, I went home and I was like, look, I need to meet you first thing in the morning. I don't know what just happened. And I met her first thing in the morning and I was like, what happened? And she explained the same thing to me. And then I was like, all right, if we're going to do this, like, we're doing this forever. And she's like, great. So we've been together ever since then, which yeah. is so crazy. Um,
1: how long but, ago was that or how long have you been together now?
2: Oh my God. I don't even know. She's like always making fun of me because I don't know when our anniversary is. I think chemo like ruined my brain. Um, 2016. Okay. So
0: five hmm.
2: years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you hadn't
0: liked women before.
2: No. Oh my God. Never. No. And that's like, so interesting too. like, you know, we're coming up on pride and we're talking about teaching all these pride events and I love being a part of the gay community. It is so fun. But like, sometimes I'm like, I'm not gay though, but like you've accepted me as your people and that's so fun, but it's so interesting. Like how many different sides of the spectrum, this like gay spectrum are because I'm like, okay, you have my wife who's gay. And then you have me, I identify as a straight girl that married a girl. And it's so confusing for people, but it's also confusing for me because I'm like, do I teach pride? Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's crazy.
0: So what was that? It sounds like it was a bit of a whirlwind and you just got together pretty quickly, but how did you work through the emotions around coming to terms with that? You know, you'd not liked girls before. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't second guess myself. I was like,
2: nothing had ever felt more certain in my life. Like not even when they placed my baby on my chest. Like I was like, I'm done for this is like, when you know, you know, super annoying. Mm -hmm. Um, she's my soulmate. Um, but it's, it's true. And I'm like, make fun of me all you want. But like, when you see us together, you're like, Oh yeah, I get it. That's annoying. Um, But yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) it's, it's amazing. But, um, I, I was like a little torn because I'm like, this doesn't look good. Like middle of divorce, whatever, but also torn because I'm like, are people going to say I'm gay? And for some reason I had a really big problem with that in the beginning. Um, now I'm like, I don't, it doesn't matter. It's just a name, but I didn't second guess it I was like, this is, this is what I'm doing if you don't like it, it actually doesn't affect
0: you. I'm super happy. My kids are happy. Like let's, let's get married. Let's do it. What an incredible difference from being in a relationship before where you had to question everything about yourself Yes. to just being exactly what you want to be and exactly who you want to be with. Right. And I think it's so amazing too. Cause she never questions me like
1: hmm.
0: ever. And sometimes that's hard for
2: me to believe because <laughs> I'm like, wait, Are you going to ask me a question or are you going to be like, you shouldn't do that. But she's like, whatever you, I trust you. And I'm like, Oh, to be trusted. Right. That's like a new sensation. And still all these years later, I wait for her to like question me or tell me like not to spend the money or do the thing. And she's like, your life, baby. I'm like, what? Love it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's incredible. It's like so freeing.
1: Mm -hmm. And it sounds like too, when you shared, um, when you came out to your community that you were really nervous, but then it turned out that it was a very supportive response.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, like Oregon to me feels like a small town. I'm like, everyone knows everyone in Oregon. Um, and so I think I was afraid of like perceptions and this and that, but it kind of boiled down to, again, I'm happy. It's not going to affect you. And so I did. I like posted it on the internet and people already knew, like they'd seen us together, and it was kind of an undeniable thing. But
1: mm-hmm.
2: the response was so beautiful. They're like, Great. I'm so glad because you guys are like magnetic magnetic together, but also like we just want you to be happy. I'm like, yeah. oh, people are good. Yeah. People are good. <laughs> like this is great. Yeah.
1: God. So sort of switching gears to another pivotal moment in your life and your relationship, um, your honeymoon, Ugh. which is supposed to be this magical, amazing celebratory time together. And I'm sure it was in a lot of ways, um, but you found a lump mm-hmm. and um, can you kind of share it what that moment was like with us.
2: Yeah. It's so funny. Cause like, I have a terrible memory and these, like that moment sticks out to me like nothing ever, ever has. And we were kind of hopping around Thailand on our honeymoon. And it was like the fourth day we had just gotten to like a new town and we were like putting on our bathing suits and I was like, Oh, my boobs itchy. So, I like started itching it and realized that there was like a little lump under the place that I was itching. But like, no matter how much I was itching it, like it was still itchy. It felt like it was itchy on the inside of my body. And I'm like, Ugh. Um, and I was like, okay, well, that's weird. Like kind of showed stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm really itchy. Didn't really tell her about the lump and just kind of went about my day with her and like forgot about it for the rest of the trip, felt it like in the bathroom, but I didn't say much. Um, and then when we got home about a month later, I felt it again. And I felt like this cool rush of Mm -hmm. like electricity. And I was like, Oh God, it's bigger. So that's when I mentioned it and we decided like, you know, probably nothing. We should go get it checked out. But in my mind, I was always like, I don't think it's probably nothing. This, you know, I know my body so well, I'm in fitness. I was like this, I think this is something. And also because I had been so sick for a couple of years, like, chronically ill. Um, so I went and got it checked out and turns out it was cancer. So
0: Whoa. yeah. What, what were you chronically ill with before? Um,
2: yeah. So I was like beyond exhausted and, you know, it was a very fight or flight time in my life, those years leading up to this. Cause it was like divorce, this coming out situation, like boom, 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 boom. Um, oh. so like this exhaust it like cr- so exhausted to where in the middle of the day, I just felt like I needed to lay down. I was rail thin, like could not hold weight no matter how much I was eating. Um, And I was like sinus infection after sinus infection, like Mm. green gooey shit coming out of my head Mm. for like four weeks at a time. I get a week off and then it would like happen again. And I'm like, this isn't normal because I'd never had them before, but like this whole year leading up to this diagnosis, like that, that was happening. And I'm like, and, you know, like no doctor could figure it out. They're like, Oh, another mm-hmm. sinus infection. Like you just get those. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't just get those. You don't just start getting those and then get them forever. Like I am not well.
1: Yeah. So. Uh, what do you wish that more people knew about a cancer diagnosis? Ooh, you know,
2: I wish that they knew that it was really common. Yeah. Um, they say one in eight. I don't actually think that's accurate anymore the amount of women in their thirties and their twenties that I've met is insane. And I wish that people talked about it more. I wish that people took it more seriously. And I honestly don't know how much you can do to prevent it because I'm the poster child of health at this point in my life yeah. and I got cancer. So, and I do like, you know, I ch- I honestly think it was due to stress. And so that is something that I wish people would realize too. It's like, I wish we were talking more about things that can cause cancer. Cause I'm like, yeah, I ate shitty food growing up. We grew up in the nineties. Right. Right. Um, I don't eat processed food anymore. I hadn't. And, but like everyone ate shitty food not everyone has cancer, but you know, it's just a combination of all these things. And I'm like, if we could be more aware of what we eat, if we could be more aware of like the stress level in our life, like stress raises estrogen, my cancer was
0: almost 100% estrogen driven. So I mean, it makes you wonder, right? Well, yeah. Our, our business is your hormone balance with our mom. She's a hormone health educator. And it's pretty crazy to me that a stat we talk about, it's something like over 95% of breast cancer is estrogen dominance related. And you rarely hear that talked about. Mm -hmm. You'll see, you know, fundraising for breast cancer and things like that. But it's not, the focus is never so much on the prevention piece or understanding right. these imbalances and these things that lead to it. Mm-hmm. And and it's mind boggling because we could detect it sooner. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny,
2: like talking about that too, because I've been thinking a lot, you know, there's this joke about, you know, on the first of the month, all the breast cancer patients come out and they're like, feel it on the first, um, which is true because like, of course, we want you to know better to t- detect earlier than later. But I'm like, why aren't we talking about prevention on the first, like, where mm-hmm. are not we talking about yeah. things that we can implement? Um, and I think it's because we think nobody's going to listen. Like mm-hmm. nobody thinks it's going to happen to them. But now yeah. I'm in this mind space where I'm like, anything could happen to me. Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, that's dark. I'm like, no, no, no. It's just awareness. Like I'm aware that I am not like bulletproof and that shit's going to happen to me. And that even you, if you have a 0.02% chance, that's a chance. So yeah. like, let's, take the necessary measures to make sure that that hopefully doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. Well, to that point with so many people getting cancer, despite oftentimes being super healthy. So then you get a diagnosis. How do you a process that and then get your mind set, your mindset and your family and everyone kind of behind you to, to t- take this on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Take us through what kind of that, that feeling and, and, and that mindset you were in. Yeah. I think, I honestly don't
2: think I ever processed it. I think it happened so fast and it had happened, you know, like it was like on the dot, I get divorced on the dot. Like I'm coming out. Like it was like, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, okay. So to me, I was like, another thing. Okay. Like we just have to take it step by step. We're going to get through this. This has to be the last thing. Um, but I was like, I can't let anybody down. I felt so much obligation to not only share what this experience was like, but to stay alive for my kids and for my new wife. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't die now. Like we just got married. Um, so it was like, I didn't, I didn't have a choice. I'm like, buckle up. Here we go. And you know, my kids were so little, like five and seven. And my wife's father died when she was seven, and mm. she doesn't remember him. And, oh. I, mm. and me, like thinking, oh my god, like I put all this work into these kids, and like they might not remember me. Not that Whoa. I'm the greatest, but like that sucks for them, right? Of course, you right? Of
1: course um, you're the greatest. So I'm
2: like, I have to, like, I have to at least make it till her twelve. Like, this is crazy. Um, so that was, I was just like, here we go, like. And that's what Steph and I always say. We're like step by step. Like we're just going to move forward. But it happens so fast and they don't give you a lot of options. And like we live a very natural, like holistic life. But when you are faced with like modern medicine and a cancer diagnosis, they're like, take all these drugs or you're going to die. And you're like, okay, shit. Take me, like, give me the drugs. Looking back, would have done that. Like would have. Totally taken more time. I would have done more research. I would have talked to more people, but I didn't know what I didn't know. And that's like another thing we need to be talking about. Like, what do these diagnoses mean? Not all of them are the same. Like, do you really want to have your boobs chopped off? Like, do you really want to do 17 rounds of chemo? Is it necessary? Are other countries doing it this way? Like, Mm -hmm. there's so much to learn. And I think through that process, like, what the biggest thing I learned was to be my own advocate. Yeah. Because I wasn't in the beginning because I was so scared to die.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's such an important point because you do have to be your own advocate in this country in general, with the foods that you put into your body, Mm -hmm. with the medicine that you inject, with everything that you do, even like the diet that you choose or the exercise, because there's constantly people shoving down what you should be doing down your throat and you do have to stand up for yourself. But then when you're faced with a cancer diagnosis and whether or not you're going to be around for your kids, it's like now on top of it, you also have to be your own advocate and do your own research and figure out if you're being lied to, or if what you're doing is the appropriate route to take, Right. that is even more stress and pressure to take on. And you shouldn't have to do that. So. Um, what, what is it? Cause I, again, what I love about your book is just how raw you get with that process and how your body started to change. And what were some of the initial sort of side effects that you experienced from the chemo and how did they progress?
2: Yeah. So the biggest thing, um, the first thing I remember, besides my very first infusion was eight hours straight eight hours just constant drugs in your veins and the first thing I remember was you know they come over and they tell you like you have one of the worst protocols we can put people on like this is gnarly you're gonna feel wow. like shit and I'm like okay like thank you for the honesty uh, but i I remember kind of half the day went by and then they came by with like one of the drugs and I remember the second it hit my veins and it was cold and I could feel myself turning gray. I could feel my eyes getting glossy. I could like, I was like, oh shit, I can't look at my wife right now. Like she can't see me like this. And I remember going home that day and looking in the mirror and I was like, oh my God, like this isn't me. Um, how did I get here? And it was just like this film. It was like so shiny over my eyes and it was thick. It was like gooey. And I'm like, what did I just do to myself? You know, and you have this new last to pack on your arm that stays there for 24 hours and it administers more drugs. And I went and I laid down and my body just like convulsed. And it was just like, I didn't know if I was having a heart attack. I didn't know if this was going to happen every time. And I finally fell asleep. And I remember just burning, like my skin was burning. And then, you know, within 14 days, your hair starts to fall out. And that was like one of the worst experiences, not because I care about my hair, but because it was so uncomfortable. And it's not like that for everybody, but it was burning and itching. And I was like, I have the highest pain tolerance of anybody I've ever met and excruciating pain for like a week. Um, and just sores all over my head. And it just like got worse and worse and worse from there. I had like sores on my face, like sores everywhere, like skin burning, but you're like hot flashes and night sweats. And, um, but then you're freezing. And I mean, and it just got worse and worse every time until like, I got to the point where I couldn't feel my hands. Like I couldn't pick stuff up anymore. Like I still, if you ever would ask me to write you a handwritten letter, like I cannot do it because Mm -hmm. my, I don't have like the grip that I should. Um, it's, I mean, it's so gnarly. And like, while I'm thankful for medicine because I'm here, I'm not sure that it was totally necessary to do all the rounds, <laughs> you know?
0: It's, so just overkill. Tra- so it's a traumatizing experience. Yeah. Of course, nightmare yeah. experience. And, yeah. you do, and you had to do it again, you said? Um, no. So
2: they had, so I had six rounds of like this harsh chemo. And then I had an additional 12 rounds of, like immunotherapy for, um, I was a HER2 positive. So for that, but you know, that's when I kind of started, I wanted to stop at five rounds of chemo, um, because my body was like shutting down. Like they got to the point where they had just had to reduce it because they're like, she, like her numbers are terrible. She's, she can barely stand up. Um, but I started researching other countries and what they do and the statistics and the success rate and the survival. And I'm like, wait a second why am I getting twice as much? Like, why are we going longer? And that's when I started really advocating for myself. Cause I'm like, I brought in this study that I printed out. <laughs> I know you've seen it and <laughs> I don't, you, I know you don't want to talk to me about it, but I want to talk to you about it. And this is what you get paid for. Um, you know, and in the end they're like, you're right. You don't need to do the last whatever. And I'm like, Oh my wow. God. <laughs> Um, but you know, I know women that have been overtreated, and sure, there's a time and a place that you need this exact protocol, but not everybody needs the same thing. Yeah. And that was like me trusting my body too. My body was like, you're done. You're like, the cancer's gone. You know, like you don't need to do this anymore. And I had so much like knowing and so much trust. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm not going to do it. And you can't shame me into
0: doing another round. Mm for you.
1: Well, how can people sort of become their own advocates to find out if it is the right are resources
2: that you, that you're familiar yeah. with? I mean, honestly, it is so hard to find the studies from other countries in the United States. You have to like go deep on Google. It's not the first page. Um, I think it helped that I'm married to somebody that's in natural medicine. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we had done a lot of research on alternative therapies in other countries, but unfortunately it was nothing we could afford. Um, we offer things in the United States, but it's not at the same, um, dose to like get the same results. Uh, and so I was like, wait, if you can do all these natural things, like, why do I have to have so much poison? I think that's just my critical thinking. Right. Um, but you know, just ask questions and if, I was not satisfied with the answer of like, because you're HER2 positive, estrogen positive. I'm like, cool. But I'm also like 5'3, 120 pounds. And this person's like five ten, 65 years old, 200 pounds. Like, why do I have the same dose? Right. Yeah. And they're like, uh, I don't know. That's just protocol. And I'm like, that doesn't work for me. Yeah. But I'm also like kind of bullheaded, but I think everybody should be. <laughs> Cause clearly they're like, uh, we don't know.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, let's, let's find out together. It's not comforting. No, <laughs> it's,
0: no, it's, it's terrifying at every level in our kind of Western medicine system that you do have to challenge them to get anywhere. It seems, yeah. you know, so I saw a thousand I mean, doctors for gut issues, sleep issues. And it wasn't until I saw a naturopathic doctor that I got any help or any mm-hmm. specific tests because mm-hmm. everything is standardized and covered by insurance or else they're not going to go there. Totally. So even the
1: question, like, how are you? How what are you feeling?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We're connecting the dots with different things going on in your life, you know, or looking at exercise or looking at diet or looking at the con- contributing potential factors. So I am curious if in your case and from your research, uh, you found specific diet or lifestyle changes to be helpful. I know Dr. Axe, for example, has talked about helping his mom come out of, uh, can't remember what cancer she had through an anti-inflammatory diet. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's just so many different, Mm. there's so many, I mean, there's like cookbooks for cancer and this and that. Um, you know, I don't really know how I feel about that. I do definitely think like looking back, if I'm to be completely honest with you, I wouldn't have done chemo. I wouldn't have gotten a mastectomy. I would have gotten a lumpectomy. I would have tried some other therapies and I would have watched it. Um, and then, you know, maybe down the line, like some chemo. Um, what I know now is, you know, there's like ozone therapies, there's different diets. There's, and of course, like, of course there's studies that can shrink cancer cells, right? Like everybody has cancer cells. Mine just threw a party. It is what it is. Like we all have them. It could happen to anybody. Um, I don't know exactly what I would have done though. And I think had I started my research sooner when I was in treatment, like I didn't realize how fucked up it was until about six months in, but had I started my research sooner, like maybe I would know. But by the time I figured out how messed up it was and got out of it, like I didn't want to research cancer anymore. Like I want nothing to do with this. And I am just telling myself like, this isn't going to happen again. And if it does, I'll like cross that bridge when I get there. But, um, I do, definitely believe that there's things that can help like, you know, Steph was shoving wheat down, wheat crust down my throat for a while. And I was like, I I literally can't stomach this and chemo. Um,
1: I don't need one more discomfort. (laughs) Oh my God. I mean like the
2: food aversions when you're going through key, I was like instant gag reflex and everything tastes like metal and you're just like, Um, but there's lots of diets and supplements and you know, vitamin C, vitamin D, like the power of vitamin D why are we not like shoving that down everybody's throats? Like giving it to our kids, like especially mm-hmm. hello, I live in Portland. Um, yes. And it, it, cancer's an immune, it's an immune system. You know, my immune system was shit. H- had I been taking vitamin D, maybe it wouldn't have gotten so bad so fast. I think, I still think I would have had cancer because I was so stressed out, but
1: yeah, uh, we wow. have a friend who is a functional medicine doctor and part of what he does is goes and gives high dose vitamin C injections mm-hmm. for cancer patients yeah. to help shrink this cancer cells because apparently it takes on it acts like a sugar in the body and so um it kind of attaches to that and helps to shrink the cells which I found really interesting and had no idea. Yeah. Um but another thing that you do talk about in the book is just how when you're going through this process there are, everyone is kind of trying to, is telling you what they think you should do. <laughs> um, so what was that experience like for you and sort of as a, like a PSA or a warning to people that, you know, have a loved one, um, experiencing a cancer diagnosis, kind of like, what would you, what would you say to them?
2: Yeah, that was really hard for me because I had gotten to this point in my life where I'm like, uh, now, you know, I went from being like, no voice to like, I have this voice that people like look forward to hearing. And now everyone's trying to be like, Oh my God, you got this. Like here's some kale and you know, you're going to beat it. And I'm like, Holy shit. That is so not helpful. But how do I tell you it's not helpful without pissing you off because you're trying to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was this battle of being like frustrated because I'm getting like hundreds and hundreds of these messages and like balancing gratitude and, um, you know, like how do we make this work? How do I educate you and not piss you off? I am thankful, but please stop doing that. Um, so I just, I decided to like post about the every round and just tell them what I did and did not need. I'm like, I do not need you to tell me that I can beat this because I might not. And I'm the one that has to be okay with the fact that I might die. Um, and you clearly aren't okay with it because you're telling me that I'm going to make it and you might need to process the fact that I might die. Um, so stuff like that where I'm like, "Kate, it's not actually helpful to tell cancer patients that they're going to make it. And some people do, I think, like that. But the majority of the people that I've talked to, they're like, yeah, that doesn't feel very good. Because guess what? People die from cancer. Yeah. It happens. It fucking sucks. I've had multiple friends go. Um, but how horrible does it feel? to have thousands of people telling you that you you're going to beat this and then you're dying and you're like, I'm not strong enough.
1: Makes you feel bad.
2: It's horrible. It's horrible. So I kind of took it on myself to um, educate people. And I know it made people uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable, but someone needed to talk about it. I'm like, what is empathy? Like, how can you just sit with me and sit with your loved ones that are going through this shit and be like, I see you. I am so sorry. Like, tell me how I can show up for you or show up in other ways that like fold my laundry, pick up my kid from school. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so that was, it was hard because at that point in my life, I had a hard time keeping my mouth shut, but I was like, how do I say this in a tactful way? That's like palpable, um, and I, I think it worked. Like that part of the book has had a huge response, like what to say, what not to say. Because, I mean, I did it before I had cancer. You're like, oh, I feel better now that I told this person that, you know, they're strong. Yeah. But um, that wasn't the right thing to do. And still, it's so funny. I catch myself when people are having a hard time or like, my father passed away. And, you, you know, you're just like, you want to say something to make them feel better, but that's not what they need.
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
2: me saying something is not gonna make your dad come back. It's not right. gonna make you feel better. So what's actually gonna make them feel better is knowing that like you can sit with them in it. And that's hard. Yeah. Like, nobody wants to be uncomfortable.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So do you think more so specifically ask for people to ask, do you want people to ask how you're doing and sit with the reality of it and not follow up with advice and you know, yeah. ideas for you, yeah. Essentially. Yeah. just listen. And yeah. I mean,
2: you know, and, and maybe know your audience too. I think for me, I'm very much my own advocate and I do my research, so it's not helpful for me, but you know, maybe if it's your 80 year old grandma, she wants that. And maybe you just ask, like, just, is it helpful for me? Like, do you want me to champion you or do you want me to mm-hmm. sit with you? Mm. Um, and that is just like another level
0: of awareness. Yeah. And, and instead of sending flowers. Being... Don't send flowers. Don't, <laughs> don't send flowers. Unless it's your grandma. She'll probably like that. Yeah.
1: yeah. A of succulent. Is that okay? Yes. I like okay. things
2: that stay living or that I can try to keep living.
1: <laughs> yeah. There you go. A plant. I'm with you on that. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. about, because another thing I wanted to touch on with the what not to say is, I and I have totally done this multiple times, is like the relating kind of thing where it's like, Oh, I have a friend who, you know, had a 1% chance of survival and they've been living 10 years. And I feel like in the past when I've said that it's more of like, Oh, maybe this provides some sort of like comfort and hope. But when you described it the way that you did, I was like, Oh shit, I get it now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I don't need to be told how many people have this disease and I don't need to be like my experience is not your experience. My experience is not your friend's experience. And I know other people get breast cancer. I know people survive. I know people die. Like that's just what happens. Um, but it feels terrible because it it feels like you're diminishing that person's personal experience and making it like just like another cancer case. Right. When it's like, no, this person is suffering so deeply and so terrified like make it about them. Don't try to normalize it and be like, oh yeah, here, you're in my cancer friend group. Another one, mm-hmm. you know, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean that I, I'm getting that a lot right now too. Cause we're like dealing with it, taking my implants out and like getting uh, the rest of the toxins out. And people are like, mm. oh my God, my girlfriend X planted. And did you try this? And she feels better or she doesn't. And I'm like, not helpful. My body's different than her body. I'm yeah. glad she feels good though. That's good for her.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Can you actually speak to that cuz I think it's incredibly fascinating that we don't hear anything about mm-hmm. the risks associated with breast cancer and yet I've seen there's like thousands of women in online groups that are sharing stories that it's like you have to be again be your own advocate, find other women going through it because no one's really for breast you. For, for implants. Breast implants. Yeah. yeah. About um, the risk. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I'm like, here we go again. Um, I was so nervous to
2: post about it. Cause I'm like, people are very possessive of their implants and I'm like, I get it. I had them before. I loved them. My boobs were perfect. Um, mm-hmm. I am so sick. I feel like absolute garbage. Like mm-hmm. since I've gotten them in, it's like, Here's 15 pounds that you can't get rid of. Here's Hashimoto's constant inflammation, like SIBO, um, joint pain. Like you're not going to be able to use your fucking hands. So just like all this stuff that nobody, like no amount of thyroid medication is treating it. This and this rashes like acne, things that are not my body. And I'm like, at first I chalked it up to post chemo, right? Because chemo screws your body. It kind of has to readjust and like come back to life. It kills all these healthy cells. But I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like two and a half years out. Everything in my life is super clean. The only thing that makes sense is my body is having a massive response to a foreign object inside that is full of toxins and heavy metals. Why I didn't put that together in the beginning? No idea. Maybe because I had them previously. But Mm -hmm. um, there are hundreds and thousands of women's fighting to get their implants out right now. And it is a nightmare because guess who doesn't want to pay for it? Um, Guess who doesn't want to own up to the fact that they're made up of these things? Um, There's no official studies, right? But I'm like, I believe women, I believe these stories. And it's incredible, like these transformations that women go through six months after getting their implants taken out correctly, because you can do it incorrectly, um, it's like, oh my god, I have my life back, I have my energy back. I, the inflammation's gone, my joints don't hurt anymore, and I wow. cannot wait for that. Yeah. When is
1: this happening?
2: I don't know. Um, it's incredibly hard to find somebody to do it correctly, especially on a mastectomy patient. So mm-hmm. I have consultations booked through September. A lot of the best doctors aren't like accepting people till next summer. And oh, I'm in a place where I'm like, I don't want to wait that long. But if you don't want to wait that long, it's like 25 grand. And I'm like, who has that much money oh, sitting geez. around? Um, so it's a big deal. And I'm like, I will yell and scream about this because it is so not okay. Like, yeah. I feel like if I could just open up my chest and take them out myself, I would. Like, that's how desperate I am. But I'm like, I feel trapped. Um, And, I, you know, not everybody has this response to implants. And I, I think that's lovely. But i wish that we were more educated about the risks associated with them like autoimmune is a huge response to breast implants and that actually has been proven like that's in the warning but they don't give you the warning they just say like we're going to do this for you and you're going to feel like new and you're just going to go on with your life
0: and that's not true for everybody Mm -hmm. So. Well, thank you for talking about it. Cause yeah. it really isn't. And we have to listen and believe one another, Yeah, especially when there's hundreds of thousands of women talking about it. So. Oh my God. It's like
2: a whole other can of worms.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we wish you the best of luck with that journey and I hope you can get them out sooner thank rather you. than later. But we also wanted to say congrats to you because we know it was, was correct September, 2020 that you were declared cancer free. Um, that was in 28
2: Lane. Stalking. Oh, oh, okay. 28th. So then we yeah. were wrong. <laughs> so, I'm, yeah, I'm coming up on three years in September.
0: Oh, congrats. Yeah. Which is yeah. awesome. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yes.
1: Congrats. And I think it's obviously a huge thing to be celebrated, but also, like, what do you kind of wish that people knew about that, like, post-celebration? Obviously, mm. there's so not much over. that happens. It's not over. clearly. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of like, do people just start sort of like going into the shadows and how yeah. does that, you know, how does that make you feel and how can people better show up for their friends? Yeah. It's really interesting. Cause I'm like, I don't know what I need and I don't know what I want, but I don't
2: think we're doing it right for each other. Um, mm-hmm. because you know, you have this like outpouring and like almost smothering of support and love and check-ins and food and this and that, when you're going through treatment. And then the second you declare your cancer-free, they're like, cool peace," Um, and you're like, yeah. Oh shit. Like I literally had all of the healthy cells in my body, like obliterated as well as these bad cells. And I feel like I'm left in a puddle on the floor and I don't know how to put myself back together. Um, and what I could have used was like continued support. Like, mm-hmm. where are you now? What's here now? Like, how can I help you? Where do you want to be? Like just somebody asking me, how can I support you would have been massive. But then I feel like people just move on and pretend like it didn't happen because that's yeah. comfortable.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: and I'm like, no, it did happen. It's actually still happening. And now I have to process it because when you're going through it, you're like, Oh, staying alive, staying alive, staying alive. And then you're like, Oh shit. Now I'm alive. What do I do? Because mm-hmm. I'm not the same person that I was. I don't have the same abilities that I used to have. Um, And, you know, like even now, I'm like, it's so weird that I'm two and a half years out and nobody ever asks how I'm feeling about it or like if I'm, if I think about it or if I don't want to think about it, like it's just, it literally, it's like it never happened. And I'm like, I don't think that that's healthy.
0: Mm -hmm. Not that I want
2: to talk about it all the time. Like I definitely don't want this to be a defining factor of who I am, but it's a massive trauma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's a very interesting thing to think about. I, it, it's very, it's a lonely place for sure.
0: Yeah. I saw you posted about how you're just now feeling sort of confident in, in your skin again, yeah. after this, this yeah. process. Yeah. So what would you, and this can be one of our last questions so we got to let you go, but what would you maybe credit to you rebuilding? What are some of maybe the fundamental practices or routines or habits in your life that helped you get back to you?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it was just like letting go, like letting go of the you know, like the friendships that maybe let you down during that time and like thinking that it was gonna be the same. Um letting go of like who Lan used to be, like I'm never gonna be that person again. My body's never gonna be the same. I'm entirely new. Um and and then kind of going back to like finding out who I was after my marriage, like finding out what I still like, like what feels good to me now, because I can't do what I used to do. Like I could teach 13 classes in a week. Now I'm like going to max out at three and I just have to be okay with that. Like, what else do I like to do then? What else is Leon? Um, so a lot of that has helped just kind of like, okay, like there's freedom in that. I don't have to be Mm -hmm. that person anymore because Mm -hmm. I'm not. So don't like put the pressure on me to do that, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. And healthier by the way, to not do the 13 classes a day. Yeah.
2: (laughs) No, that wasn't good.
0: Exhausting. (laughs) Yeah. I can't believe some instructor. I mean, a lot of instructors have to do that. It's like, ah, I don't know how you keep the energy up. Adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. Coffee. Yeah.
1: (laughs) How does Steph sort of support you on a daily basis and be there? Oh man. God, how does she not support me on a daily basis?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, she's incredible. She, you know, every single day. She's like, what can I do for you today? And I'm like, really? (laughs) Um, yeah. I mean, we just check in with each other and it's like, whatever I need, no questions asked or wherever I'm at, like bad mood, no questions asked. Great mood, no questions asked. Like, and it's just so nice. I think just her accepting me in all of my forms is like the biggest gift.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you found her. Yeah. Your story is incredible. I know it's ongoing. There's yeah. so many layers to it. We hope that everyone reads your book. Yeah, girl. As I said, Jess has not stopped talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> she loves so many excerpts that she's been sharing. So I'm looking forward to reading it too. But how do you want people to purchase the book and how can they find you as well?
2: Yeah. Okay. So the book um is on Amazon. It's called Please Don't Send Me Flowers. Um so you can buy it there. If you want to buy from a local bookstore, you just have to go in there and they'll order it for you. Um, but if you want to support them, that's an easy way to do it too. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram. It's just my name, Leanne Saffer, and I don't tweet cause I'm not that techie. So that's about it.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you Thank guys. You. You're amazing. Yeah. Thanks. Well, we hope that you enjoyed this conversation and her inspiring story. And we'll support Leanne by grabbing her book at Amazon or your local bookstore. And of course, take a screenshot and share with us at Solo 2.0 Podcast with any takeaways. We'd love to hear from you and we will share it on our Instagram as well.
1: Yes. And as always, remember that even if nothing feels right today, You just tuning into this podcast and opening your mind is enough. Change doesn't happen overnight. Be patient and kind with yourself and good things will come. See you next time.